Father, we can do nothing of our own accord. You are the one who is in control. You have care over us. Your providence guides and provides. We would ask that you would do so when it comes to the eating of your word, the ingesting of the syllables and the meanings of the words in these pages. We had asked, Lord, that you would fill us full of the wisdom that you require us to have for being your ministers here. And we thank you for your grace and help us to be carriers of that grace to others. All the while knowing that you are the God in heaven, the creator of heaven and of earth and in all things that exist. So, Father, we give you praise and also thanks for your word that you have left for us to be a guide and an inspiration. So, Father, bless your word as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Matthew chapter 8, you know, we're, we're going through it. And by the way, Matthew chapter 8 is not in chronological order. There are events that take place, or in all of Matthew, actually, events that take place in Matthew that do not happen in sequence. But there is what is known as the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they think all came from the original document. Some theologians give it a, a name called Q, or maybe it wasn't an original document. Maybe it's just an oral transit, uh, trans, uh, a tradition. But this idea that they would put something in each one of these gospels in a different order doesn't mean that the gospels are not true or correct. In Matthew's gospel, he has a thematic outline where other gospels have this chronological outline. You can actually buy a chronological Bible. It will take you through the whole Bible in chronological order. Genesis was probably not the first book written. They believe that maybe it was Job. And, and so if you start from that aspect of it and you start going through Scripture, it gives you a little bit of understanding, but it's necessary to, to grab hold of the idea that this is a thematic outline. And it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So he was preaching, he was teaching, and he was healing. The preaching is in Matthew 4. The teaching is the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And the healing is in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And we have... 10 healings that actually take place. And as I told you last week, and in previous occasions, it shows that Jesus has power over the natural, the supernatural, and over nature itself. Now, the miracles that are performed here are the uh, healing the leper, the servant of the centurion, Peter's mother-in-law, which we'll see today, the many who were healed that came to Jesus when he was at Peter's house he calms the storm. There is two demon-possessed men. And, of course, in another gospel, this is referred to as legion. And you have the 2,000 pigs that run down to the Sea of Galilee and drown. You have the paralytic in chapter 9, Jairus' daughter, a blind man, and a demon-possessed man that Jesus heals. All of these. And there is a thread that goes through most of them. And it's this idea of faith, that we have to have faith. And if we have this faith, God will work in us, he'll heal us, he'll motivate us, he'll use us for the furtherance of his kingdom. And if we have the blood of Christ, which is salvation, and we have faith, 
We are unstoppable as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 talks about this. It says, they overcame the enemy, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Somebody who has a testimony has done something or experienced something. And it's so it's those two things that work together. It's not only the confession and the believing in Jesus Christ, but it's also the word of your testimony, what you have done, how you have experienced your walk in the life of Christ. And if we only have one and not the other, we do a disservice to the body of Christ and to the world. And so we want to make sure that we also have a testimony. But there are some people who have testimonies that are just over the top. When I hear some of these testimonies, I go, wow, God has really moved. But oftentimes there has been tremendous suffering through those really good testimonies. And I, I'm not volunteering for any one of those. But it's this idea that we have to be willing to experience whatever God wants us to experience to get to the point where we reach full maturity, where we will also have a testimony. And with that and the blood of the Lamb, we will go out and we will be an influence for this world. Now, going back on these uh, stories here in Matthew chapter 8, we have the healing of the leper. And, of course, it was a skin disease of some kind. We think it was leprosy. Leprosy is what we know know as Hansen's disease. And it's highly treatable, and it starts as a spot, and then they lose feeling, and then the flesh just kind of deteriorates. It kind of goes away. And, you know, in the time of Jesus, people who were lepers, they were outside the city or outside the camp, so to speak, in the time of Moses. And they would sleep maybe out in a cave or something like that, and there would be rats there, and the rats would come and nibble on the digits or on the toes, that type of thing. And so they would also lose working parts of their bodies, and they wouldn't know that they were being fed upon by the rodents in the area. So it's a terrible disease. They were shunned, ostracized. And if they were within 300 feet of somebody, they had to call out unclean because it was an airborne illness. And it was like the living death for them. And Jesus chose to heal someone in all of these healings that take place, these miracles. He heals someone who was the worst of outcasts. Everyone else would shun them. He's the one that healed them. And then after that, you have the centurion's servant. And this person was a Gentile. Now, being a centurion, he would be over 100 men. And if he spoke, it would be speaking like Caesar spoke. So he goes to this person who is a leper. He heals a leper that is shunned by society. He goes to a Gentile. And do you know the third one that he goes to? A woman. You know, the the Jews used to pray uh, that they would not want to or thank you that I was not born a woman they thought being a woman was one of the worst things that you could possibly be besides a pagan and they would pray that when they would get up in the morning the devout Jews would pray that they're glad they're not a pagan or a woman and so Jesus took the three groups of people that were outcast that were shunned and he showed us the way to go to those who are most unlikely to be an influence, to have any kind of power necessarily uh, as far as the religious world is concerned or those who are in Christ. Uh, But it would have been the Jews who would have been looking at all these people as don't talk to them. 
They mean nothing. They despise the Romans. They hated the fact that the Romans were over the Jews and the Jews didn't have the power of capital punishment that was taken away. And they thought that this is terrible, that they have our power, which we should have as the ruling faction inside of Israel and specifically in Jerusalem. And so some of the facts about Peter's mother-in-law being healed. Let's read it in verse 14. When Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. Now, for me personally, a little personal testimony here. I once had the flu and I had a high fever and I had the shakes. I had the chills, you know, and you, you put the blanket on, then you get the sweats and you throw the blanket off and then you get the chills and you put the blanket. And you're just feeling miserable. You can't lay down. You're all achy. It just, it was a real problem for me years and years ago. And uh, a friend of ours who was at the church here, he, uh, he lives now in Arizona. He comes over. And he has a little olive oil with him. And I, you know, I look up at him and my eyes are all droopy and my mouth's kind of open. I'm just achy all over the place. And he goes, I came over to pray for you. I said, okay, man, pray away. And, you know, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, this is my trial. No way is this going away. So he got a little oil. He dabbed it on my forehead. And of course, that's James chapter 5. Anoint the sick with oil. And the prayer of faith will make you whole. And I'll tell you, it wasn't my faith. But as soon as he prayed, I could feel it from the top of my head to my toes. It's like somebody took a screen filter and just went through my body. And it just dissipated. And by the time he was walking out the door, I'm kind of like, I feel good. You know, that type, I, I felt great after that. It was gone, and it was instant. Now, I've experienced that, and, you know, I'm thinking, well, was that psychological? Did I make myself do that? I, scripture says to do that. Somebody did that for me. It was their faith, the prayer of faith. It made me whole. I got up, and I've experienced what Peter's mother-in-law experienced. And the fact was that Peter was married. He had a wife. But, you know, the guy always smelled like fish coming home. You taking a shower before you come to bed tonight? You know, that type of thing. And, and he was always on the ministry field with Jesus. I'm sure she had her own trials, but I am also sure they understand this was the Messiah. Peter was the one that confessed that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. And so they, they certainly had a special relationship with him. But at the same time, it could be a little bit trying. Now, all these miracles, as I have stated before, it's so that there would be irrefut- irrefutable proof or evidence that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. In John chapter 10, verse 38, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. And so that's the reason that he did this. Now, this is also a foreshadowing of what is to come. In the kingdom age, now, just to give you the timeline again, and we're going to be approaching this when we get to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. To give you the timeline, what has to happen before Jesus comes back? Well, the rapture of the church needs to take place. We have to go through, or those who remain have to go through the tribulation period, which is seven years. Seven years of tribulation. After that, Jesus comes down to the Mount of Olives, places his foot on the Mount of Olives. There's an earthquake. 
the valley between the Mount of Olives and the gate beautiful. It splits. The land goes to the north and to the south, and he walks into the gate, and he establishes himself here for an earthly rule and reign for a thousand years, according to the book of Revelation. Once that thousand years is over, Satan will be released again because he has been bound at the end of the tribulation period. He'll be released for a short period of time to wreak havoc and come against Jesus Christ who rules on the throne in Jerusalem. And Jesus will destroy him by the breath of his mouth. At that point, everybody will be resurrected and there will be the great white throne judgment. We've already gone through judgment at this point. We will have our new bodies. We are uh, with Jesus for a thousand years ruling and reigning with him in this earth as we know it now. It'll be here. But after all this is done, after the great white throne of judgment takes place, after the earth is destroyed, all the elements melt with a fervent heat, Jesus creates a new heaven and a new earth. And there's some descriptions in Scripture about that. But during that thousand-year reign that is there, let me ask you, if you have your glorified body, you no longer have the sinful nature, you see somebody who re-inhabits the earth that had made it through the tribulation, who believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they're the ones that make it and they repopulate the earth and we minister to them and we guide them and we help them and we teach them. Do you think that we are going to have the possibility to heal somebody if they're sick or injured? We will. We will have that type of ability because we don't have a fallen nature. We're in Christ Jesus. We do only his will. And at his will, if we pray for somebody, they'll be healed. Will we have the gift of knowledge? Yeah, well, we'll be operating in the spirit just like Jesus did when he was here operating in the spirit. The same thing will take place then. It says this in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 7. talks about this millennial reign. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Now, for those who have been to Israel, you know you have the Sea of Galilee that's towards the north and the Jordan River comes down and it empties out into the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea is over 600 feet below sea level. Scripture tells us that water is going to flow from Jerusalem, from the Temple Mount there, going to go down to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea is going to flow out into the Gulf. That's what's going to happen. And so that Dead Sea, it's going to be big. It's, it's probably bigger than um, or about the size of Lake Tahoe. If you've seen Lake Tahoe, that's how big it will be at the time that Christ is here. And it will flow out uh, down into the Gulf after that. So this is a portending, not in a bad way, or a foreshadowing of what is going to take place. These healings, this is what is going to take place in the thousand-year reign of Christ. So Jesus heals the outcast, he heals the Gentile, he heals the woman, and it was a patriarchal society, as I told you before, they pray this prayer, thank you that I'm not a slave, I'm not a Gentile, or a woman. And Jesus was the one who liberated women when it was taught through the Apostle Paul, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you all, or excuse me, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians chapter 3.28. So we are all equal. We all have different jobs, or different tasks, but we're all equal in the eyes of Christ. Now, verse 16. Here we see that Jesus has power over the supernatural. When evening came... Many who were demon-possessed 
were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. I have a question. Is it cold in here? (laughs) I'm starting to get a chill up here, and I'm thinking, well, if I got a chill, you're lower than I am. So you have gloves on. I see the earmuffs. And, you know, okay. So I, I don't know if we can change that. Anyhow, I digress. So when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was fulfilled, or this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now this again is in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 44. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. God even has a name. Like, you know, Jehovah Jireh is God who provides. Well, he has a name also, Jehovah Rapha. Rapha is God who heals. He has all these names. You know, it's just not God. It's just not Jesus. It's just not the Rose of Sharon that refers. It's just not the rock. All these refer to God and specifically Jesus. But he is the one who heals us. And this name comes from Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. He says, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on any of you the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you, or Jehovah Rapha. So God is able to heal us. Now, does God always choose to heal? He doesn't. Are there people that say, you just don't have enough faith? Yes, there are. Now, when we were praying before we came out here, we were in the room in there. And before everybody arrived, I was just checking the news. And there was this news article that made it to the front page of, uh, I read the Drudge Report. Is on the front of the Drudge Report. Talked about this church where a man was drinking strychnine, handling rattlesnakes, and there are several churches, I guess. I, I don't think they're very big. I think they have a declining congregation because of what they do. But the, the pastor drank strychnine. It, it talks about what he did. He drank strychnine and he picked up a rattlesnake, allowed the rattlesnake to bite him, and said when he took the strychnine, you know, you can start getting asphyxiated and losing your breath and j- just a lot of problems can happen to you and ultimately you just die. Uh, I don't recommend that anybody get a little container of strychnine and start drinking it, but there's some churches in Kentucky and Tennessee and West Virginia, and usually cameras aren't allowed in, but they had pictures of this, and one guy, he's up in the lectern area, and there's blood all over him because he got bit by a rattlesnake, and and the pastor was drinking the strychnine, and he sat down, and he started to sweat, and they're looking, well, he's going to survive? And a few minutes later, he's up just dancing and hooting and hollering and... Uh, the thing about it was his father and his brother had both died from drinking the strychnine and handling the rattlesnakes. And the idea is, if that happens to you, you don't have enough faith. No, you just don't have enough smarts. If you're doing something like that, if you're picking up rattlesnakes and drinking poison, and they also said they burned themselves to show that the power of this life, this world, has no power over them because they are in Christ. That is just Let me tell you how I really feel. That's just stupid, idiotic, dumb-to-the-core kind of thinking. I didn't mean to be quite so strong, but really I did. These churches, 
that do that are misleading the people. In Mark chapter 16, it talks about this. And by the way, if, if you were to take a Bible right now, any one of the Bibles that are in the chairs there, and you open it up to Matthew or Mark chapter 16, you looked at there, there should be a heading in there that says the earliest, most reliable manuscripts do not have Mark. And I think it goes from verse 18 or verse 16 on to the end of the chapter. And in there, it talks about drinking poison and being bit by rattlesnakes. After all, Paul was built by, or built, but bitten by a deadly snake when he was shipwrecked and he didn't die and then they thought he was a god and they wanted to sacrifice and all that kind of stuff and it's just nuts it wasn't paul's time and by the way we are indestructible until god calls us home unless we act stupidly and that's what scripture says oh why be foolish and die before your time oh man so we can't do things to end our lives from God's intended purpose before he wants us to do it. But we're not to act in a stupid fashion. So this idea that you don't have enough faith, it doesn't always work, it's according... We we don't put faith in faith. We put faith in God. And if it's God's will, we get healed. If it's not God's will, we, we say, well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Do you guys know who said that? It's Job. Job said that. The man who lost everything. And then God restored everything that he had, even double. And so these healings are taking place, and it's the trust in God, the faith that they had, that allowed these to happen. Now, we want to live forever. Now, I haven't been to the doctor lately, and I probably should go for a checkup, you know, and I'm going to Africa here in the future. I just finished my hepatitis A and my hepatitis B, and I got the yellow fever, and we all have malaria packets for when we come home, and all that's taking place, and we don't like to be sick, and we don't like to age. Doesn't it feel great to age? Amen, sister. That's right. <clears throat> you know, you, you gain experience along the way. That's good. But, you know, I've, we all know this as we get older. We grunt a lot more. Uh, just doing normal stuff, just getting up from a chair, that type of thing, and, and that aging process. And we don't like that. And I've talked to you about um, the life uh, extension therapy out there. I just got this article, October 16th, from the Daily, or Daily Star Sunday. Let me read it to you. It says, Dr. Ian Pearson has previously said people will have the ability to not die by the year 2050, just over 30 years from now. Last year, UK-based Stem Cell Bank Stem Project said it could eventually, potentially, develop treatments that allow humans to live until 200. Mark Hall from Stem Project said, at the time, it's just the same way as we might replace a joint, such as a hip, with a specially made synthetic device. We now replace cells in the body with new cells, which are healthy, and younger versions of the ones they're replacing. That means we can replace diseased or aging cells and parts of the body with entirely new ones, which are completely natural and healthy. This just came out, and I've been telling you this for years. They're progressing in this technology. We don't like to be sick. We want to be healed. We don't want to die. 
It's God's purpose that we die. God doesn't want this flesh to inherit eternal life. He put a curse on us because of the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. I'll just pick it up from 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So we don't like to be sick, but some people, even Christians, and I've talked to them, they believe you don't have to die if you have enough faith. You don't have to be sick if you have enough faith. Au contraire, Scripture says you're going to be sick, and eventually one of those sicknesses is going to cause you and I both to succumb to the sickness and die. And we fear the death, but we don't need to fear the death because Jesus says, don't worry, I'm giving you a new body. It's like you're in this envelope, I'm going to take you out of that envelope and put you in this envelope. But the body, he's going to take paper and reconstitute it, whatever, to make a new envelope, and that is going to be the new body in which the, the soul resides. And that body is going to be fantastic, strong, handsome, debonair, all of the pretty. All of those things are going to be possessions that you have. And God created you a beautiful instrument for his purposes, a beautiful life, a beautiful soul for his purposes. And he's going to recreate us how we should be in his kingdom with no sin, no sorrow, no suffering, eternal life. But then there are those, as Jesus is teaching all of this and he's, he's performing the miracles, there are those that come along in verse 18. Let's pick it up there. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came up to him and said, Teacher, I follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is an itinerant preacher. He just goes from town to town to town. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't go to the grocery store. The Lord God, the Father, provides for him as he's doing his ministry and all the disciples. Remember the two loaves and fish, uh, or the five loaves and the fish, or two loaves and the fish, or seven loaves and three fish. And Yeah. There we go. I was just checking you guys to see if you knew. God is able to feed thousands, and he can even have the food just appear. Remember when he did that? When the people said, what is it? That's what they named it. What is it? Go get some what is it. And they would go out and they'd pick up the what is it. That's manna, by the way. And so God is able to provide everything that Jesus needs, God the Father. And he did during his entire ministry. But there are those who come along and and this particular teacher says, I will follow you wherever you go. Really? Really? You want a little knapsack to bring? You have a little fanny pack? That's about all you're going to be able to take back then. Or a little knapsack or a stick with a bag over your shoulder, that type of thing. And we're going from town to town. We have no home to go to. You want to do that? Well, verse 21 says, another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, he's making an excuse here. He wants to say, I affirm that I want to follow you, but let me go do this first. It's just a big honking excuse. He, he wants not to bury his father because he just died. He wants to get his inheritance so that he can have a life of luxury and then follow Jesus and bring his own little caravan and wagon and whatever he needs to follow Jesus and, and live in comfort. What he's talking about with both of these things 
He's telling one, you have to give up all you have to follow me. And the other one, he says, well, I want to have this stuff and then follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. The ones who pursue the things of the world, they're dead. They're dead in their sins. Forsake all. And so it's this idea that we are willing to give up whatever Jesus says we should give up. Now, are we willing to do that with the Powerball and the Mega Millions lottery? If you had a, a curve and you graphed it and you put the line on how many people bought tickets in the last week as opposed to a month ago, it would go like this, straight up. I even thought about it. I thought, wow, what's one in 300 million? You know, I, I could win, right? I don't... There was one movie in which, maybe you'll know the movie, but there was one movie in which a guy said, you know, if me and you and the circumstances are right, what are the chances that we could, you know, be husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend? And the woman goes, one in a million. And the guy goes, so you're saying there's a chance, right? (laughs) That's the one in 300 million. No, it's, it's like impossible. And by the way, I just read an article on this the two combined, the Powerball and the Mega Millions, were over combined $2 billion. Well, take that down after the government gets their share, but it's $2 billion that you could win. And there's this frenzy to buy all of these tickets out there. Why? Because we want the stuff. And then I was listening to the radio, the news in the morning when I was going out to work, and this one guy... George Chamberlain was his name. He was talking about the people who who say, this is what I would do with the money if I won it. And then they did follow-up to find out what people actually did with the money when they won it. They would say things like, well, you know, I would probably give most of it away. George Chamberlain then says, lie, because they didn't give it away. Or they would say, well, I'm going to share it with family. He says, lie, they don't share it with family. And then there's all kinds of things you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to talk about it if you win the lottery because everybody just inundates you because they want to share the pot, that type of thing. We're so concerned about stuff in this country. How do you get to $2 billion for a lottery? Imagine if we said, let's put $2 billion to helping people out there. Could you? Could you imagine what this country would look like? And we have that discretionary spending. Now, for those of you who bought a lottery ticket, don't go out like Schlepp Rock under a cloud going, Holy dog, I'm so guilty. Now, we're all guilty anyhow. You know, if if that's what you want to do, I'm not putting any condemnation on you. Just remember to tithe afterwards, okay, if you win. (laughs) But this, this idea that... We in the world, we don't want to be without the creature comforts, even though there are others who are suffering out there. And Jesus said, look, if you're going to follow me, you got to give up everything, at least what I would ask you to give up if you need to give up something. And those people of the world, don't be concerned with them. Be concerned with the next life. When I do premarital counseling, and I just did some, I was uh, telling them, you know, you're going to enter into marriage and it's a blessed state to be in. It has troubles, but it's a blessed state to be in. But you are preparing for the next life. You are not preparing for this life. You're doing what you can 
to live your life for Christ, and that's good, and it should be full of joy in pursuing that. It's going to be full of difficulty, but your everything, the focus is for heaven. The focus is not for here. And so we have to count the cost of following Jesus. Now, sometimes we get this skewed idea of what it is to follow Jesus. Well, I can do this on one hand and follow Jesus in the other hand. And you know, I remember my first tax guy. I went to this tax guy, and uh, he knew that I was a believer. And he goes, oh, that's great. We go to church, you know. The, uh, it's wonderful to be in fellowship there. And, and, you know, some of us work, and we can provide for the church. And, and then other people do the work. And back then, I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I think about that. I go, no, no, no. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Everybody is supposed to give to the church and everybody is supposed to work for the Lord Jesus Christ, not quote the church or Calvary Chapel or a Presbyterian church or a Catholic church. You work for Jesus Christ because he saved us, because of the great gifts he has given us. And how do you know if it's God's will? Like, for instance, well, if you decide, well, I'm going to do this particular task or I'm going to do that particular task. How do you know God wants you to do that? When we started the church, I, most of you know the story. I went out, I, I put a fleece out there, and God answered the fleece in a supernatural way. There's no way it could be mistaken, and so we started the church. I knew it was God's will to do that. I knew it was God's will to go forward. A little shaky, like, we're going to start a church, <laughs> having no idea what to do in a church, and the church that sent us out, you know, is like, we love you. And they shut the door and have fun. God bless you. It, it's all good. And that's kind of the Calvary way, you know, doing that. And, uh, you know, if you're out there, well, praise the Lord. That's good. Well, how do you know if the Lord wants you to do or go or say something? You know, even Jesus, he wasn't quite sure on his crucifixion, which I talked about. Last week, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And he goes, yet not my will, but yours be done. If somebody comes up, just by example, if somebody comes up and says, the Lord wanted me to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> what verse and chapter does it say? The Lord wants you to buy a lottery ticket. And, and, and that's just an example. Not again that it's sinful. You know, it's, you just do what you want to with that stuff. You are a free agent in Christ. And if you feel you have the freedom to do that, well, I'm not going to condemn you. And other people will come up to me and they'll say, and I've had this happen, they'll say, gambling is a sin according to the Bible. I'm not saying it's not a sin for somebody to do it. But I am saying, which verse was that? Well, it's casting lots. I thought that that's what they did in the Old Testament to determine the Lord's will. You know, that type of thing. And so there's this big debate about that, and you know, that's not even on my radar. If you love Christ, you're going to know what you're supposed to do. You're going to follow him, and, and you know, you, you just have the freedom to do those things. But knowing what you're supposed to do. Like, for instance, I knew I was supposed to be in Lakeside. I knew that. And I know... I can't leave Lakeside until the Lord says, you can leave, or you will leave, or you're out, or I'm moving you. I, I can't. I can't. You know, it's like um, Master Sergeant comes up to me, and I'm in the military. I'm a private. He goes, boot, get up. I have to get up. 
go over here. I have to go over there. That's how I look at Jesus. He is my commanding officer. And we should all do that. But we have to find out, is it God's will? Is it God's will that you exercise your gift? Well, yeah. In Scripture, it's pretty clear about that. Is it God's will that you give money to a particular organization? Well, it depends on the organization, but God will give you wisdom. Is it God's will that I vote and I participate in the process? Well, do you think Scripture says something about that? How we're supposed to be submissive to the governing authorities above us and to be a responsible citizen? Are we supposed to vote and carry out our civic duties? Are we to be good for the rest of the community? Are we to be an influence? Well, you judge for yourself. Does Scripture say that? See, that's what we're supposed to do. Well, what if I felt, and I was just feeling, we have friends in Arizona, and if the Lord said, I want you to go to Arizona, I would wait until I knew it was the Lord's will. Well, what if I had to move to take care of family? Would that be God's will? Is there any scripture that guides that? Is there any scripture that says, I want you to take care of your parents? Matter of fact, there is scripture that says that. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Those widows who have no children. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. There it is. Black and white, red letter Bible. It's there. We're supposed to take care of our parents. Now this morning, we have somebody that's been very involved in this ministry that has to do that very thing. And it's, on one hand, it's very sad. On the other hand, It's kind of exciting because it's a new chapter. And when somebody is called by the Lord, and there has to be circumstances surrounding that that just lend itself to that particular fact. When that takes place, it's like when somebody grows up and matures, God says, okay, now I'm using you and you're going. That's that's what happened to me in La Mesa. Came up and or I went down and became a servant over there, and they wanted my wife to be a deaconess over there, and and uh, I was ready to die there. I'm going to spend my whole life right here unless God calls me out. Well, God called me out, and so we have somebody this morning that has gone through that, and we're going to bring him and his family up here, and it's Dustin. And so, Dustin, if you'd like to come up, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for your wife. And Eric, would you come up, please? And Les, could you come up as well? Uh, I'd like to have you pray for these guys. And where's DJ? DJ? Your father wants you. (laughs) You know, and this guy, he's been a brother. He started here. He was pretty green. You know what that means? He was wet behind the ears. And now he knows what missiology is. He knows what homodiology is. He knows what the theanthropic principle is, the homoousian. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, most of it. And we've gone through this stuff, and he has matured, and he has been serving in such a way that all of you, I'm sure, have been blessed. And so we want to bless him as he goes. Now, he will be here again next week, but as soon as church is over, 
He's out of here. He has to go to San Francisco and to Reno. And this is going to be in an area that's close to his father. His father suffered a stroke and uh, a couple years ago, right? And his mom is the only one that's there to take care of him. And so he's going to be up in the area probably an hour away, maybe a little less. And he's going to go up and, and take care of his family, just like First Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 says. And he has been valuable for the youth. He's been valuable on opening up the service. He's been valuable as an elder here at the church. And his wife, just the sweetest woman. You know, she may be small, but her sweetness is just like way up there. So we're going to pray for them. And if you guys would start, I'll go ahead and finish it out. Father, we just, we thank you for this family, what they've meant to this church. And Lord, how they've grown. And Lord, how they've ministered to us to others and things that we may not even know that they've done but lord you put it on their heart god we pray that uh, you give them traveling safety and lord most importantly we know that you will plug them into the right church and lord we just praise you for the godly man and, and woman that justin and mercedes are and lord that they are willing to step out there and do what scripture says it's hard sometimes, but Lord, we know that if we step out there, that you're with us. And so we pray that you continue to be with them, be with DJ as he makes new friends, Lord, that as he continues to grow in Christ, that Lord, you just bless their lives. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Lord, I do thank you for Justin and Mercedes and DJ, and I thank you for the work of faith and the labor of love they've given to you in the church, Lord. We do pray that you continue to use them in whichever manner you see fit. Uh, I thank you for their obedience, Lord. Even though we don't want them to go, we know that you are, they are doing what you have planned for them. Continue to be with them. Fill them with your spirit, Lord. Guide them each step of the way. And prepare the church that you have for them, Lord. And may they minister there as, they, as well as they minister here. And Father, I would lift up this precious family that has been such a blessing to us. First, Dustin, who has grown in the wisdom and knowledge that you require. He has matured uh, beyond many of his peers. And I ask that you would continue that process. Use him in a mighty way. Help him to influence not just a few, but hundreds or even thousands, Lord. So that they might know Jesus Christ, our Messiah. That they might follow God in his ways. And be blessed by being in heaven. And for DJ, Lord, I, I pray that you would strengthen him, that you would encourage him in his heart, that you would help him to be excited for new things that lie ahead, and that you would make it easy, the transition, making friends and playing soccer and baseball, all of those things that he enjoys to do. I pray that you would provide avenues for him to grow and mature and protect him, Lord, from the ways of the enemy and the ways of the world. And for Mercedes, her sweetness just abounds, and I pray that you would bless her as she supports her husband and the desires that you have placed in their heart to be with Dustin's father here who is infirmed. And, Lord, we know we don't always understand why you do what you do, but because of these things, efforts are get multiplied. And so we thank you for this family. We ask that you would protect them, guide them, fold them into a Bible-teaching, loving church. And we'll trust you for this, Lord, that you'll do all these things that we have requested of you. 
In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Okay. So you guys can have a chance maybe to uh, say goodbye. We love you when he takes off uh, before next week. Mercedes, you'll probably be here another week or two, right, when he's training. So a couple months. He's going to San Francisco, do training back to Reno and San Francisco and back and forth. Now, one other thing I'd like to say about this. When something like this happens, there is a void. When there is a void, it gets filled with something. Preferably, it's someone. Someone who says, you know, Dustin grew. He learned the ways of the Lord. He understood what his will was. His family has been blessed. We have been blessed. Someone in here could say, I want to do that. I want to mature like that. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ like that. If the Lord has worked on your heart, and by the way, the serving in the capacity that he has served is not for everybody. You've got to be ready for the battle. And the battle, it has a lot of casualties. But if you think the Lord is with you and you like to mature and you like to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and you say, I want to help lead others for the sake of Jesus, talk to me. If you think, well, I am inadequate, I would say, you're perfect. The person who comes along and says, I can do this, take a back seat, go to the back of the line. Somebody who says that they can do it by themselves without the help of God's Holy Spirit living in them, they just don't understand the ways of the Lord. But if somebody wants to mature, grow, engage in the fight, see me. I will help you to understand if that's the Lord's will for you. If you say I'm not mature enough, we can work on that too. I will personally make sure that you have what you need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and arrive to full maturity. Dustin is fully mature at this point in his life, and all he has to do is add to that maturity and the grace and the knowledge. So let's pray, and then we'll sing our closing song. Father, we, uh, we give you thanks for Dustin again and his family, everything that he has done here and how you used them. But most of all, Lord, we want to give thanks to you. We know that you use the moving around of people in the first century church in order to accomplish your will, whether it's Philip talking to the Ethiopian eunuch or the persecution of the church, moving it from Jerusalem to Antioch. Lord, all of those things were done according to your will, and we know this is according to your will. The signs all point to it, Scripture points to it, and so we are comfortable with that. And Father, we give you praise that you were in control. We direct all honor to you. You know exactly what is taking place. And Father, help us just to trust, even though we cannot see. And help us to understand you, again, are in control. So we thank you for the blessings that you provide for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew. In Jesus' name, amen.